we're dealing with a topic tonight that is difficult. And uh, we, we've been working through this book of Proverbs, and we've had all these different collections of Proverbs that we've been bringing together on some of these themes that this book uh, puts forth, and we've called it Vintage Wisdom. And we are now in week nine of this series. We've actually decided to extend the series three more weeks because there's three other topics that we feel like the Lord is calling us to speak about. And so tonight we're dealing with something uh, that we are all familiar with, high-maintenance relationships, because we are all in them. You know, when we think about high-maintenance relationships, I think a lot of times our mind goes to the celebrity that can only eat blue M&Ms, right? Or you may think to yourself, uh, high-maintenance people are people that only shop at Brickell City Center because I've never heard of any of the names of the stores there. You know, I I walked around real excited when it opens, like, a mall so close. And I'm like, who's Ted Baker? And what's, you know, and like all these other names I've never heard of in my life. Apparently, they're from Europe, guys, if you're wondering. You know, or we maybe think about uh, a celebrity not to be named, but who uh, famously it was reported that for his dressing room, here's what had to happen. All of the furniture, the curtains, everything had to be white. And the carpet had to be ironed. Now that is high maintenance, right? So some of you are sitting there, maybe you, your mind goes to the extreme, the blue M&M, the ironing, the carpet, the white furniture, the Brickell City Center. But the reality is all of us know that we're all in high-maintenance relationships because we are high-maintenance people. All of us are high-maintenance in one way or another. You may not be in a relationship with somebody that demands that you iron the carpet or only eats blue M&Ms, though I think they are the best, even though I'm pretty sure they all taste the same, but for some reason the blue ones are the best. I don't know why. But we're all in them, and I I think that the reason that relationships can feel high-maintenance or we label them high-maintenance is because oftentimes in the relationship we're relationships that we're in, whether it's a family member, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a friend or a coworker or a boss, there are people that value things that we don't. There are people that ask things of us that we are incapable of giving or maybe unwilling to give, or they place unreasonable expectations on you. And so it makes these relationships difficult. But The reason we can all say that we are in some relationships that we would label high maintenance is because though they may be difficult, they are worth maintaining because we love the person or maybe out of necessity, especially in a work environment. And and, and so tonight, as we look at this text, as we work through this collection of Proverbs, we're going to be asking the question, you know, how in the world do we deal with high maintenance relationships? And I think the first thing is that we stop labeling them high maintenance. It's really interesting when you think about sometimes when we label a relationship that we're in high maintenance, we believe that somehow that's going to maybe change that person's demeanor or their actions, but it doesn't. It's never helpful when we label someone high maintenance. In the same way, if someone is a jerk to you and you label them a jerk, that is not productive, right? They're not going to be like, you know what? Thank you for telling me I'm a jerk. No one wants to be labeled anything negative, let alone labeled anything nowadays, right? So labeling someone high maintenance is not helpful. If someone is a jerk to you, instead of labeling them a jerk, what do you do? You pull them aside and say, listen, your communication is, is mean and is harsh and is hurtful. In the same way in these relationships that we may be in with a whole gamut of people in our life, I think we need to, to realize we've got to stop labeling people as high maintenance because the reason that we do this, the reason that we say, oh, that relationship is high maintenance, that person is so high maintenance, is because in some way we think that it frees us of the responsibility of actually engaging in that relationship and maintaining it. 
Because it's not our fault, it's their fault because they're high maintenance. They have unreasonable expectations. They're asking things of us that we're incapable or unwilling to give, or they value things that we don't. And so when we label that, we kind of have a cop-out to not engage in it. But the reality is we have responsibility. They, they may, in fact, be placing unreasonable expectations on you. They may be asking something of you you're incapable or unwilling to give. They may be valuing something that you don't value. But the relationship is worth maintaining, and there is responsibility on your part. And the first proverb here tells us what that is. And here's what it is. When you stop labeling someone high maintenance, you realize that there's a responsibility that you've been given in the different relationships that you're in. And the first thing is that you're to be honest with them about how you feel. Look at Proverbs 10. It says, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. Now see, all of scripture is very carefully crafted. Every single word, every phrase, every idea that is brought forth is carefully crafted as the Holy Spirit has guided the authors of scripture. And Proverbs is no different. And here in Proverbs 10, Solomon has written this proverb, and, and he's writing not only with intentional words, but actually, something else is intentional as well. I'm going to actually read the first part of this in Hebrew, and I want you to tell me if you notice what is jumping out of this verse. Here's what it says. Listen again. If you know what I, that means, wow. What did you hear? There's an S, right? It's a hiss. Why did Solomon write this first part where he says the one who conceals hatred, his feelings, their anger, the frustration, the exhaustion in the relationship, the person that conceals how they feel and is unwilling to be honest has lying lips. The comparison here is that this person that is not being honest with the people that they're in relationship with is like a snake that's coiled up keeping everything in, and is waiting for the moment to strike. Bottled with anger and fury, concealing its identity until it's going to lash out at its victim. So he's saying here that the temptation is to be like a snake. The temptation is to conceal your feelings and to keep them in because you know that when you're going to share with them how you feel and what is frustrating you and what hurts you and what's difficult for you, that it's not going to be an easy conversation. So the temptation, he's saying, is to be like a snake and to hide and to wait to strike. Because when you wait and you let bitterness and anger rise up, what happens? You utter slander like a fool. There is going to be a moment where you're going to lash out. There's going to be a moment when you strike. And he's saying... That wisdom, the person that is wise and is running after wisdom, recognizes that though it may be difficult, their responsibility in a relationship, even if it is a relationship that requires a lot of maintenance, is to be honest and to be authentic and to share how they feel even if the conversation is going to be difficult. But one of the things that Proverbs is also saying is that the person that is wise is not only authentic and is not only honest and is not concealing their feelings, but they're not rash and impulsive with their feelings. Look at Proverbs eleven twelve. It says, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. You see, the natural reaction of being offended 
is to return an offense to that person. And so these proverbs are kind of attaching to each other. So if you're a person that conceals how you feel, you're unwilling to be honest in certain relationships that take a lot of maintaining, and you're angry and you're frustrated and you're mad, you're coiled up like a snake, there's going to be a moment where you're going to lash out in anger and you're going to belittle the person that has been belittling you or has been hurting you or frustrating you. We've all been frustrated. We've all been to this place. And the human heart's natural reaction is to respond when we are attacked and when we are hurt with even stronger passion, right? If, you've, if you drive a car here in Miami, which most of us do, you know what this is like, right? You're driving, you're going the speed limit, and someone cuts you off, which, you know, doesn't happen much here, you know. And then you get to a red light, and they're mad at you. You're like, you're like excuse me? What, and, and they're like screaming at you, and what is your natural response? And it's not to be like, you know, you're right. Have a great day. Your natural response, like, how do you have a driver's license? What are you doing? You know, your friend says to you, and, and, and pulls you, you know, you're having this conversation. Your friend says, you know, what do you know about this? What is your natural reaction? What do you know about anything? right? We take it to the next level. Your boss comes to you and says, why can you never get anything right? Why, why can't you do it right the first time? Your natural reaction is not to say, you're right, I'm going to do better. What do you want to say? Maybe it's the leadership here, right? You know, like, hello. See, when we're offended, when we are struck, the tendency is to not only lash out and to strike when we're not when we're concealing our feelings and we're not sharing and we're not honest and we're not authentic, our tendency is to exaggerate and is to twist our words because we want the person to feel pain. We want to inflict pain upon them because they have inflicted pain upon us. That's what Proverbs 24 is saying. Listen, it says, be not a witness against your neighbor without cause. Do not deceive with lying lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. You see, Proverbs here is not saying, again, do not share how you feel. It's already told you that. Do not conceal your feelings. Share your feelings with those that you are in relationship with. The context is saying that you are to share when it is timely, when it is appropriate. And the appropriate time to share how you feel is not when you have just been attacked. It is not when you have just been injured because your reaction is to want to do to them what they have done to you. But not only do to them often what they have done to you, but make them feel the pain even more. You want them to realize that they are oblivious to their own problems, to their own issues. You're, you exaggerate, you're inflammatory, you twist the truth. You know, if, if you've ever been punched before, the natural reaction is not to slap them back, Right? The natural reaction is to want to hit them harder than they hit you. When I was in high school, we played this game. I don't know if you ever played this game. I have no idea why we played this game. But it was a game where you stood there and you flexed your arm and you would go against another person and you would put your hand like this and you're not allowed to pull it back. You have to push forward like that. Anyone ever play this game? Just me. Okay. So what, the way that it worked is you would stand there and you would, you're not allowed to push back. You just push forward and you try to give the person a dead arm and you just go back and forth until someone quits. It's a really brilliant game. And what happened every single time was as your arm is 
hurting and you, and you have a dead arm and you can barely feel it, you're just getting more mad. Until eventually someone does what? They pull their arm back, right? And they strike as hard as they can. And then, and then there's like a huge fight. Everything blows up and it gets out of control. And then you play the game the next day as if it's going to be any different, right? See, when we are attacked, when we are hurt, when we are frustrated, when we are mad, the natural reaction is not to return the offense in the same level. It is to go beyond. It is to exaggerate, to be inflammatory. Because we are motivated by vengeance, we want them to understand the kind of pain that they've inflicted upon us. And it's not only out of anger that we respond this way, but oftentimes we respond this way out of anxiety, right? We're in a relationship and we're nervous and we're anxious about where it's going and and the direction. And so out of that anxiety, we respond with these rash and impulsive feelings that are inflammatory. You're nervous about your position in work. And, and what the future holds to you. And there's certain moments in work where you lash out and you say things in this aggressive and strong tone because you're anxious. Someone has been saying something and you're, you're anxious that it's actually true about you. And so when it comes up again, when there's something that attaches that anxiety in you, what do you do? You lash out. Anxiety and anger pushes us to want to respond with an exaggerated and inflammatory tone. And it's saying here that the wise are honest with their feelings. They share their feelings. They do not conceal them, waiting like a snake to strike. However, there are moments when they're silent, where it's not the right time to share how they feel. Because if they do, they know what's going to happen. They're going to lash out. They're going to strike so they wait for the right time. You know, some thousand years ago, the Israelites were sitting on the bank of the Red Sea. And Moses has led them out of Egypt. And they're staying there. The water's behind them. And the army is coming straight at them. Pharaoh and his entire army. Now, they're not prepared for this. They, they don't know how to fight. They don't have any weapons with them. And they're watching an army that can wipe them out in a second right over the hills towards them. Can you imagine the anxiety that they felt? And can you imagine the anger that they felt? Because Moses has come in there as, as their deliverer. He's going to take them out of the oppression of Egypt. And he's going to take them to the promised land. They're all excited. And now at the very beginning of the journey, there's water behind them and the army's coming in. And they respond to Moses out of this anger and this anxiety. And here's what they say. They say, why in the world did you take us out here? You take us out to the wilderness to die? We would have been better if you never came and we could stay in Egypt and continue to be servants and serve the Egyptians. At least we knew we weren't going to die and we could eat someone. This is ridiculous. We're waiting here to die. Here's how Moses responds to the people in Genesis 14, 13. He says, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see, you see them coming over the hills right at us right now. You will never see them again. The Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. He's saying, listen, there are moments when you're angry and you're anxious, but I promise you that you can just be silent and trust that the Lord is going to fight for you. This is the same way in our relationships. 
or you're in a relationship with somebody and it takes a lot of maintaining and, and you want to be honest and you want to share your feelings, but you know that this moment right now is not the right time. It's a time to be silent. But you can trust and know that the Lord is going to spread the waters and you can walk through them and you can have that conversation because the right time is going to present itself. And that right time may be an hour later, maybe a day later, maybe a few days later. But God will open up the seas and you will walk through just like he did with the Israelites as they waited and they were silent and God spread the waters and they walked through to safety. The same happens in the relationship. You have to realize that there are times we have to trust God and say, everything in me wants to share how I feel. But wisdom would say to be silent and to wait until the right time to share my feelings. But one of the things that the wise are also careful to do is that in their silence, they do not allow themselves to go to gossip. Look at Proverbs 17. It says, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. You may be capable of having self-control when you are offended and when you are hurt. You may be capable of being silent and not being rash and impulsive with your feelings. Maybe your tendency is not to fight. You're more of the person that is a flight. You put up the wall, right? You've been hurt. You've been offended. Wall up. Not going to deal with it right now. But maybe your proclivity is to gossip then. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We said that gossip is just cowardly slander. You're not willing to tell them to their face. You're not being rash with your emotions and your feelings but you're slandering behind their back. Proverbs 17 says that you repeat a matter. You say something like, you know, did you hear what so-and-so did? Right? Or can you believe what's going on in their life? Or what do you think about, right? As if we're really concerned. In the church, it can sound a little bit like this. You know, I'm really concerned for so-and-so, aren't you? You know, like, do you think everything's okay? Do you think we should do something? Side note, we never do anything. We just talk about it. Right? It's like we're concerned, but we're really just gossiping. Because it, it feels good in some sense to gossip. To have someone agree with your anger or have someone agree with your anxiety so you may not say it to their face, but you say it behind their back. You repeat a matter, and what it does is it separates close friends. And we've all been victims of this, and we've all victimized others with gossip and repeating matter. But it doesn't only separate friends. It also brings shame upon you. Look at Proverbs 25. It says, argue your case with your neighbor himself. Again, it's saying, be honest. Do not conceal your feelings. Don't talk behind people's backs. Do not conceal and keep in your feelings. Actually share it with them. Be honest at the right time. But do not reveal another's secret, lest he who hears you will bring shame upon you, and you will have ill repute. Your ill repute will have no end. See, gossip separates close friends, but it also destroys your credibility and your reputation. It brings shame upon you. And oftentimes when we gossip and we repeat a matter about somebody else, it has nothing to do with the person. You know, they most, most of the time they have no idea that we're talking about them. 
they have no idea that we are hurt or frustrated or mad or angry about this thing that they're doing or the way that they're living because we've concealed our feelings. We never told them. But a lot of times it actually has nothing to do with the person at all. It's not like we're angry at them. It's that that person, it heats up an anxiety that we already feel and it's threatening to us. And so we talk about others. So maybe you, you're struggling with image and you struggle with eating healthy and you struggle with working out. And you struggle with how you look. And so you gossip about people that eat well or that work out a lot. Like, can you believe they only buy at Whole Foods, right? Or maybe you are so consumed with how you look and, you, and the image that you are trying to maintain and you are anxious about losing that. And so you talk about other people that seem to not care. And you say something like, can you believe they shop at Publix? Right? Or maybe you're anxious in your career and you're not reaching the goals and the pursuits and the dreams that you thought you would. And it causes a lot of anxiety in you. And so when you see somebody that's succeeding in their career, you talk about them, right? Like, I mean, they're probably sacrificing their family, right? They probably work 70, 80 hours a week. They're a terrible husband. They're a terrible wife. Their kids probably don't even like them, right? Or you're so wrapped up in your career and your identity is built upon maintaining this idea of success that you talk about people that you deem lazy, that aren't achieving the same way, that you are. Maybe you're really concerned about your current relationship status. You think to yourself, you know, I, I pray every day that, that God does not continue this path that I have in my life. I don't want to remain single. And so you gossip about people in relationships. And you say, man, they are like so into each other, it's gross, right? Like, if I ever get married, I'm not going to be like that, you know? Or maybe you are so wrapped up in the image that you have of having a healthy and good relationship and you're nervous and you're anxious and insecure that someone's going to realize that every relationship's difficult. And so you talk about other relationships that are struggling, right? Like, can you imagine being married to so-and-so? It's got to be miserable. I mean, do you think they're going to make it? We talk like this because of our anxiety, Gossip is driven by anxiety and anger, and it is always silent anger and silent anxiety. We're not sharing it. We're not discussing it. We're concealing it. And so we may not lash out at the person to their face. We may not slander them right in front of them. We may not be impulsive with our feelings, but we will talk behind their back because we're angry and we're anxious. And I'm going to tell you something. Pastors are not exempt from this struggle. There's a lot of anxiety wrapped up in the idea of caring for and loving and growing a church. And pastors can fall into the trap of saying, do you know what that church is doing? Like, do you think it's going to, it's not going to last. I mean, ever, come on. We're, pr we're prone to the same thing. And the wise are honest with how they feel. They are silent when it is necessary and they do not allow their silence to go to gossip. But maybe the most difficult of all is they don't rejoice when their enemies fall. Not even a little fist pump. 
Look at Proverbs 24, verse 17. It says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. See, this verse can be read on a macro level or a micro level. The reality is, is judgment is playing out before us all the time. We see people face the consequences of their actions all the time, in a macro level and in a micro level. And if you are here and you're a believer, you know that there is one day that we stand before God and God delivers judgment. But if you believe and trust and faith in Jesus Christ, you are safe in him. You are forgiven. You are loved. You don't have to worry about bringing out all of your baggage and God judging it because it's already been done away with. And yet sometimes it can be really easy on a macro or a micro level to kind of cheer or grin or celebrate a little bit when people stumble and when people fall. Deuteronomy thirty-two twelve says very simple, vengeance is the Lord's. It is not ours. It is not our right or our place to judge and to be excited about someone else falling and someone else facing the consequences of their actions, even if we thought it was going to happen, even if we predicted it, even if we believe it's going to help them grow and mature, it is not ours. We are not tasked with creating perfect judgment and equity in the world. We are charged to be agents of justice and equity. But when people stumble and fall, we are not to celebrate. And the wise understand this. And so when they're sitting around, you know, at the, the water cooler, as they say, at work, I never understood what that is. Um, the coffee dispenser would be more like it. And everyone is talking at work about this coworker that is getting what they deserve. Do you engage in that conversation? See, when you understand that vengeance is the Lord's and you're not to smile or grin or fist pump when people stumble or fall on a macro level or on a micro level, you remove things from your vocabulary like I told you so. Right? Or you remove something like, you know, I hope they learn their lesson. Those things are not a part of how you speak, even if the relationship requires a lot of maintenance, even if there's a lot of frustration, even if there's a lot of anger, even if there's a lot of exhaustion in the relationship, you remove that kind of vocabulary of I told you so, and I hope you learn your lesson. And I'm a little bit happy that you're stumbling and falling right now because hopefully you're going to grow through this and you won't require so much of me. We don't celebrate. It doesn't bring us joy. And the, the, the way that we're capable as men and women following after wisdom to not celebrate when others stumble, because it can be easy to do that, is we are people that are quick to forgive. Look at Proverbs 17, verse 9, the very first verse there. It says, whoever covers an offense seeks love. You, out of your anxiety and your anger, may be motivated to gossip, or you may be motivated to lash out. You may be motivated to cheer a little bit when they stall, when they fall or they stumble. But faith motivates us to love and even cover an offense or forgive and forgiveness does not mean that you gloss over your feelings. Forgiveness does not mean that you don't actually go to the person and tell them how they're affecting you and how they're hurting you. We've been talking about that. You are to go and share your feelings. But forgiveness is a, is a decision and a disposition. It is a decision to forgive someone, even if they have not earned it and if they have not deserved it, which changes your disposition from anger and anxiety 
to love. And Proverbs has given us already a couple markers that enable you to understand whether or not you have forgiven someone and whether or not your disposition has changed from anger and anxiety to love. Here's how you know. Do you gossip about them? Do you celebrate just a little bit when they stumble or they fall or at the idea of them stumbling or falling? You know, maybe you may be asking yourself this question tonight, like, okay, why? Like, why not label someone high maintenance? Why be honest? Because that's difficult and not easy to do. Why not gossip? Everybody gossips. Why not celebrate when people fall even a little bit? Because sometimes people need to. Why forgive? And why have a disposition of love towards others? Maybe you're not asking why, but you've asked how. This sounds good, but how do I do that? It's actually fairly straightforward. The answer is that you remember. You remember that you are high maintenance, and yet God calls you a son or daughter. You remember that you are high maintenance, and yet God calls you valuable. You remember that you are high maintenance, and yet God calls you a friend. You remember that you are high maintenance, and yet God calls you forgiven and loved. See, in our relationship with God, we are high maintenance. (laughs) Are we not? We are difficult We swing from belief to doubt, to following, to running away. We are not easy to deal with. And yet God has decided to forgive you. And his decision to forgive you has resulted in an action where he became flesh as Jesus Christ and lived a life that you and me could never, and we don't earn and we don't deserve. And then he gave his life on the cross to pay the penalty of your high maintenance ways and my high maintenance ways. And he was put in the ground for three days and he came forth victorious over sin and death. And he offers now to you and to me the gift of eternal life and salvation and forgiveness. And we have done nothing to assume any of these labels. We have not earned son or daughter. We have not earned forgiven. We have not earned love. We have not earned friend. We have not earned our value before God. Quite the opposite. We have done everything to run away from that reality. And yet God has decided to love you and me and his disposition towards you is not anger. It is not, I told you so. It is not, I'm going to help you. I'm going to force you to learn your lesson. His disposition towards you is love. Because you're under the banner of his grace when you trust and faith in Jesus Christ. When you believe the gospel. And so if you've received that type of forgiveness and love, and we talk about this all the time, guys, the good news of the gospel. But if you really believe that, that God has loved you and decided to forgive you, And has given you the right to everything that is his and has guaranteed you life with him even though you've done nothing to earn it. Then why in the world would we have the right as his children and as his sons and daughters to refuse to forgive others? Regardless of what they've done. Why would we have the right to have a disposition of anger and anxiety instead of love? So... How do I actually go direct to somebody and be honest with how I feel? How how do I have the strength to be silent when it's necessary and then to not gossip and to not cheer when others 
fall or stumble? How do I find the strength and the power to forgive even when it's hard? And see a disposition of anger and anxiety turned into love. You remember the gospel. You tell yourself that every single day that you are loved and forgiven by God. And that should change the way that you treat other people. Because the God of the universe has decided to forgive and love you. And therefore, we as his people are to be people who have decided to forgive and love others. Let's pray.